It takes more than blaming lack of automation for production bugs to be a great engineer. This is Soft Skills Engineering episode 190. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show for software developers about non-technical stuff. I feel like some of the greatest outage reports I've ever read, the problem is there was an initial problem and then automation was like, I know how to solve this. I will just blow up the universe and then the problem won't, won't exist because the universe <laughs> won't exist anymore. Like, I don't know. Automation can cause problems too. I don't think so. That's what I tell myself as I manually copy individual files over to my server to deploy. Like, <laughs> so glad this isn't automated. <laughs> yeah, automation could really screw this up. <laughs> Avoiding all these problems. Can you imagine if a computer copied these files for me? Ooh. <laughs> What if they got one of these bytes wrong? <laughs> it's like type, 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 type the bytes. <laughs> we should start a new startup that's like the whole thing is that our deployments are handcrafted. Artisanal handcrafted deploys. <laughs> Each bit is carefully, lovingly <laughs> written by a, an expensive software engineer. <laughs> <laughs> an artisan a craftsman <laughs> that's what they mean by software yeah. craftsmanship <laughs> it's like hand tools <laughs> it's like the i don't know what group it is that does these but those sand drawings where they're like intricate mm -hmm. beautiful drawings by placing all these grains of colored sand mm -hmm. it's kind of like that with software where you just right this bit is flipped okay this bit over here isn't I guess we're joking about this, but that's like how you programmed computers for several decades. Yeah, Seymour Cray, right? His legendarily was able to toggle his bootloader into the computer using nothing but octal switches on the front of a panel. You know, that's with wild. Ones and zeros. Yeah, and he could get it right the first time. You would like screw this vacuum tube in and that's your one <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyways, I'm going to talk about our patrons. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much to these people who are supporting the show at the level where we shout them out every single week. Thank you to Scoof, Ivo Robotnik, Luke Bayless, Luis Santos, Zach Granin, Chris Hogan, Stanley Tactical Radio, Braden Keynes, Nikolai Ilyushkin, Philip John Basile, Stephen Armand Lee, John Grant, Crash Bandicoot, Vinlock, Matthew Voidovich, Nick Cantar, Ted Nugent, The Agile Ventures Charity, Maple Syrup, Sonic the Hedgehog, Taras Haruk, Sunny Tai, Sean Michael Green, thank you to everyone. Thank you to everyone else who has donated or or will in the future. And if you do, you get to join our wonderful Slack workspace, hang out with smart, fashionable people of sound judgment. <laughs> Ar artisans. Artisans, yeah, bit artisans. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. We couldn't do this without all your help, so thank you. Agreed. All right, shall I read our first question today? Please. This comes from an anonymous listener who says, my company is a startup and they're super unorganized. I'm a junior mid-level engineer, and when I was onboarded, there was no documentation for how to run anything. I wrote a bunch of documentation and also made some PR templates to try and organize PRs. For those who don't use GitHub, that's a pull request. I'm super annoyed because things are constantly being messed within our schema, and I don't realize what we've changed until it correlates to a different issue that I'm trying to fix and then have to redo the fix because there's this new change. What can I do to help my company? Hmm. <laughs> Hmm. This must be a an unusual startup that's disorganized because I think most startups have a reputation <laughs> for being super organized and clear and good onboarding process. The first step in founding a startup is to get your onboarding right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> I think you include a slide to that effect in your pitch deck. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, our competitive yeah. advantage will be our detailed onboarding documentation. Yes. Yeah, it's it's rough. This is like all too common. You said startup, but I think it's everywhere too, not just startups. I mean, some places have it figured out, but startups are more likely to have this problem. But I think a lot of companies everywhere have this problem where the way you get started by working is showing up and then like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. You just kind of dive headfirst into the code and it turns out code is hard and you bounce off of it. You know that scene in <laughs> DuckTales when Scrooge McDuck dives into his pool full of money? Yeah. He would just splat. Like money is hard. <laughs> <laughs> Only one way to find out. That show about talking ducks has some inconsistencies <laughs> with reality. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's how the code base and architecture is too. It's hard. You you dive in and you bounce. <laughs> and not in like the rubbery, fun bouncy way. You like your body bounces off. And yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of how it works. <laughs> oh man. I'm actually really surprised that no YouTuber has ever tried to recreate the DuckTales money bin. <laughs> <laughs> that feels like more of a TikTok thing than a YouTube thing. Okay. Just like this short little snippet of some some dude standing on a ladder jumping into a pool full of pennies and then like crying Splatting. out it's like did you ever see the one where that guy jumped on a cactus no it's horrifying he, okay. he, he thinks he's gonna do like a cheeky youtube stunt that everyone will chuckle at and then he ends up with hundreds of cactus spikes just like stuck in him oh. Oh, it's awful that that's probably more like what it is to dive into a new code base <laughs> <laughs> You're like, ouch, I need this specific unavailable version of, of GCC that has all these security vulnerabilities <laughs> just to compile our stuff. Ouch, Ow. ouch, ouch, a spike. <laughs> People talk about paper cuts in your code base, but really it's more like cactus thorns. Cactus thorns, They really yeah. stick to you. Owie, 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 our Git repo is hosted on the CTO's like home <laughs> file server. <laughs> And if his internet goes down, then so does our Git repo. <laughs> yeah. So you say I'm a junior mid-level engineer. I'm going to use my powers as a soft skills engineering podcast panelist to promote you to mid-level. Drop you've you've dropped the junior. You're now mid-level. So congratulations. Oh, clearly, if you're writing onboarding documentation, you are you're done with junior. This is awesome, by the way. The fact that you're writing documentation to try and clean this stuff up, I think mm -hmm. that's really admirable. And everywhere that has good onboarding had bad onboarding until someone did this. <laughs> so that's... it kind of sucks that it's not figured out, but it is kind of satisfying. For me, at least, it's it's incredibly satisfying to solve this, to kind of make pave the way for other people to have a smoother experience than I had. So you're having these tough experiences with this hard-won knowledge of like, oh, schema changes, or here's how I build our software, here's how I get started. But in some ways, you are maybe the most qualified person to write that because everyone else that can work has forgotten the pain of getting all this stuff figured out. I'm going to cite myself like a doofus. Uh, I wrote a blog <laughs> post about this in... <laughs> It's called Starting a New Job and Noticing Things. And maybe, depending on how the dice land, we might link to it in the show notes. 
No promises. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our, track record, our track record is not good for linking things that we say we're going to link, but maybe we will. And and this is the premise that as you join a new job, there's all this pain you're not used to. Everyone else is used to it. So you show up and you say like, why does it hurt when I do this? And everyone's like, what? It doesn't hurt me. And it like bounces off their their calluses that yeah, exactly. they've developed from all the pain. Yeah. So yeah, you're in a unique spot to fix this. Can I just ask you to do a little favor and, and just retitle your blog post to how to body slam a cactus? How to body slam a cactus. <laughs> that would destroy my, my SEO though. Oh yeah, I would true. start over on Google. Lose all my link juice. <laughs> I don't know anything about SEO. I don't think I even have Google Analytics <laughs> on my site. Okay. So that that's a hard skill and we don't do that anyway. <laughs> So I was thinking about onboarding, and I, I think there's basically three levels of onboarding process at companies. And I love what you said about how every place that has good onboarding documentation had bad onboarding documentation until someone fixed it. And I think that's, so So level zero is no onboarding docs or outdated onboarding docs. Level one is someone recently took the initiative to update the onboarding documentation, and now we have it. It exists. But then there's, that. the problem is level one it devolves into level zero, like entropy, right? It just, level one turns into level zero if you do nothing. Level yeah. two is, I think, the where every company should be, which is we have onboarding documentation and we have automated mechanisms, not automated, but we have, we have some kind of mechanism that keeps it fresh. And a really good way I've seen that done is where the newest person who's going through the onboarding documentation currently gets assigned a buddy to that they can go to with any questions. And that buddy is the second most recently hired person. And that they're both together responsible for updating that onboarding doc anytime there are changes that have invalidated part of it. And this way, you always have fresh onboarding docs for the next person. I love that. That's actually the first line of our onboarding doc on my team. Is It says, this is a living document. It might be out of date as you go through it. Part of the job of onboarding is to update it so it is not out of date. I think the ideal would be if someone was proactively going through it ahead of time yeah, to make it yeah. be more update. But I also I also want a pony and flying cars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like with all the free time you have after you've caught up and finished after you've after you've finished all your work, you know, like like you right. do at work. Right when you, you finish, just have it all, it all done. <laughs> yeah, when you're done, you know, college really prepared you for this time where your final is done, your work final is right. done, and yeah. you just have nothing to do for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> That's right. This is when you proactively update your onboarding docs. That's right. Use that time. Yeah. That's the <laughs> that's the dream I have. I think I mean there are some companies that I suspect have teams devoted to the overall experience of onboarding because it seems very polished. But hmm. and you don't have to get there. That can be your that's what you do when you have all that ad money. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to get there to have it be better. The other thing I want to say is this is why having junior engineers is good for a team. If you only hire senior people, they can generally figure it out. And they might go through some pain, but the pain won't affect them that much. And they're usually proud of their ability to figure stuff out. Oh. And and certain kinds of engineers, not every engineer is like this because we're not all the same person. But I, I think they would just get through it and be like, all right, I got it. Time to get to work and not think about paving the way for other people behind them. But as a junior, like it's a pretty big fraction of your time to get started when you don't have the skills of going and getting your CTOs like local 
file server <laughs> up and running again or whatever so that you can get the code. Whereas the, the senior folks are like, oh, another file server running at the CTO's house. I've done this before. Yeah. Yeah, they've been they they've already been driven mad. Like they're already broken. <laughs> and so they're not they're not going to look at the world and say it shouldn't be like this. They'll say like, "Ah, yeah, yeah, like you said, another one of these. This is consistent. <laughs> Time to apply my skills to fix it." <laughs> then their their cactus their cactus scars start to tingle and they're like, "My time to shine." It's like if you're so covered with cactus spines already, <laughs> the new spines can't get in. <laughs> you got cactus spine armor. Spine armor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a good metaphor. It hurts a little, but boy, makes... it's protective. Yeah. <laughs> is this is this what people mean when they say some engineers are kind of prickly? Oh. <laughs> oh boy. I think this is a reason why having juniors engineers on a team is good because they generally lead to better. You have to have a better environment for a junior engineer to be successful where a senior engineer, you can throw them in a, a bad place and they will work it out. So they're kind of a forcing function. Either you have to be prepared or you have to improve stuff once they get there or they won't be effective. Let's uh, let's talk about the second half of this question, which is... um. So moving on past onboarding documentation, the the listener says, I'm super annoyed because things are constantly being broken with our schema and, and no one realizes things have changed until it causes more breakage. How do you set up a good system to deal with this? I think you just move to a document database and then your schema <laughs> is just a shared hallucination. <laughs> your schema can never be broken if no one believes that a schema exists (laughs) the schema is everything all at once all the time (laughs) that's so perfect Uh, don't worry it'll only break for legacy customers old customers whose data (laughs) predated this code change those old fogies yeah (laughs) from yesterday (laughs) our biggest growth is still ahead of us so this is definitely a small percentage (laughs) of our customers yeah maybe they don't even have any customers yet it's fine (laughs) Their startup. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, how would you do that? So we, I, I've experienced this problem actually personally, and I didn't solve it. I did the senior engineer thing where, where I was like, well, I know how to fix this by throwing my body at it instead of making the problem <laughs> go away. And then, yeah. okay, I just do that for five minutes every time it breaks, and it's fine. <laughs> yeah, and you have all the context, so you're good. Yep, exactly. And often I'm the one who breaks it. And it's very easy for me to fix it after I break it. Yeah, you're like, I know exactly why this broke. <laughs> I remember doing it. <laughs> you know, this is this is where systems thinking comes in. And Jameson, I've heard you use this term before, and I really like it. But this is where more senior, senior engineers, this is basically the job of your senior engineering staff, is to create systems that allow engineers to be productive without causing landmines to explode just by doing their job. And it sounds to me like there is some missing, either missing process or missing automation. Oh, there we are again. Just blame it on automation. <laughs> like there's something missing here in the process that causes the, this particular issue to surface. So I'll, I'll tell you that at other companies, previous company I've been at, we had a very detailed process for making schema changes to our main database. And it, the process was, I say very heavy. It, it took about an hour to make even a trivial schema change. And th- there was good reason for that, though, because schema changes have a way of breaking everything, right, when when they're done wrong. Yeah. Not, just, <laughs> not just breaking your yep. code, but 
bringing the whole system down at deploy time. And so we had like a 20 question checklist that you had to answer just to make all this very simple change. And depending on your answers to this question, there was another team that was responsible for doing the deployments and they might have they might have to take different action based on your answers to this some of the questions on this checklist. And the, the point of me telling you this is not to like design the checklist, but rather to say it required a lot of engineering effort just to come up with this process such that we could successfully make changes to our system without introducing breakage. I, I get the impression that they're a small startup that is trying to move quickly, and it feels like having that heavy weight of a process for schema changes is, is not going to come easily to that culture, though. You're saying that would fix the problem because it would be a barrier from making too many changes too fast. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't so much about the speed of the changes, but I think that was an unfortunate side effect was that it slowed people down a little bit when they were making changes for schema. It was more about, can we safely do this without causing others to have issues? I mean, is there something about things are being constantly messed with in our schema? I don't realize what we've changed. Yeah, I keep wanting to get sucked into technical solutions. To I know. This, but it feels like there could be some technical solutions to this around either making it easy to keep your, your local development environment up to date with schema changes or like clearly communicating when schema changes happen. You can have some little stuff as part of your CI pipeline. Maybe if it detects changes to schemas, then it mm -hmm. blasts out an email to everybody or something. Mm -hmm. But it does feel like a schema is a pretty big central dependency that everyone should kind of know about. And there should be a source of truth where you can look at and say, what does the schema look like today? Right, right. But it, but again, this this is feels like the same problem as the onboarding stuff where mm -hmm. people are just used to it potentially. And, and so your sensitivity to this pain could help the team improve their processes and make it become a better place. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Or you could just throw it all out and go to microservices. <laughs> You don't need schemas there. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of one big painful schema that breaks all the time, we'll have 50 small painful schemas that break all the time. <laughs> and some of which have implicit dependencies between each other. Yeah. Oh, microservices. It does feel like in some ways the pendulum is swinging against them, but all the serverless cloud function stuff feels like swinging even further towards microservices. But those all have like a shared... I mean, those all those all usually have not not all. Those often have a shared data store, though. Sure. I don't know. Time to pivot to musings on cloud stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what can I do to help my company? So, if you're at a startup, there's a chance that people are so worried about existential threats to the company, like we have we have three months of runway left, or whatever it might be, that it's hard to think longer term than that and saying we need to invest in our onboarding process or we need to invest in developer productivity or developer tooling so we can go faster later might fall on deaf ears if people are trying to to crank out as much stuff as possible to hit some funding, I don't know, trigger or something like that. But I think it's worth bringing up at least so that you're aware that that's the trade-off being made. And and you should try and raise some idea of of impact or value that's being lost because of the current situation. Like if we're planning on, often startups try and hire a lot of people to grow fast. And if we're planning on hiring a lot of people, they're going to be very unproductive if they all have to go through the same painful discovery process I went through. Yeah. If we're scaling, like these communication problems around schema are only going to get worse. So we better solve them now. And I think you can bring them up as, as things that will benefit the company instead of just like, I'm having a hard time. I think that's 
that's especially where as a junior, yes. it would be easy for someone to say like, oh, you're just junior. Like you'll, you'll learn right, how to deal right. with this better. But if you, if you're trying to say this will help everyone instead of like, I, a junior do not have enough experience to do this well, it's, it's a better pitch to the company. I love that. Love everything you said. And one thing I would add is sometimes in a startup, you know, six months ago, maybe it was not the right time to solve these problems because there were more important things. Mm -hmm. And maybe now is the time. And if you can make a case to say now is the time. And you can also respect what came before by saying, we understand, you know, we, our priority has been on rapid development and shipping. Now is the time to take a moment and increase the maturity of some of our internal systems. And if you can make a case for why now yeah. is the time and six months ago wasn't, I think you might get better traction. Yeah, that's a great point. If, if you don't say like, boy, all those people before sure screwed up. Yeah. They, they were probably <laughs> making decisions that seemed right to them. And it's much easier to give them credit and, and get their buy-in and say like, you, you did this wrong. Let me fix it for you. Yeah. And that, that requires understanding context and actually talking to these people and saying like, you know, why, why is it this way? And then I think you'll be able to resonate better with them when you propose to make it different. Yeah. And what a great growth opportunity as well for a, a newer developer, like getting mm -hmm. that context about why these decisions were made is if they were good, then you learn from them. And if they were bad, you can also learn from yeah. them. So <laughs> lots learn, to learn here. Learn from other people's cactuses. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now ask me if we've answered the question. Have we answered the <laughs> have we answered the question? Yes, we have. <laughs> All right. I will read the next question. This is from an anonymous listener. I'm a lead engineer at a small but growing startup. I work primarily on Skunkworks projects. My teammate and I are constantly feeling underwhelmed by the performance of the rest of the engineering team who are working on the core app. Their work causes limitation for us, makes the engineering team look ill-equipped, and we can't seem to make old dogs learn new tricks. How do we make it more apparent to the team and the rest of the company that it's time to level up the engineering domain as a whole? Mm, Skunkworks. I feel like we should... We should nod our heads to the history of the word skunkworks. Do you, do you know the story? Mm -mm. This was early U.S. defense contractors, specifically a company called Lockheed Martin. I think it was just Lockheed at the time. They hadn't merged with Martin. But there was a group that was developing the secret stealth aircraft back in, like, probably the 50s. And they called themselves skunkworks. I, I actually don't know why they chose the name skunkworks, but... That name has stuck now and it applies to, it's used all the time within companies for secret groups that are building something that not even the rest of the company can know about, which is kind of cool. So there you go, a little, little history lesson. Cool. I didn't really pick up on this the first time I read this, but reading it now, I wonder if there is some tension between the Skunkworks people and the core engineering people because mm -hmm. it, it could be easy to see it as like, we're doing the actual work that people pay money for <laughs> and that has all these tricky dependencies and it's not greenfield and like, I don't know, there's all these constraints that come with being a real thing that exists and people use. And you're over there gallivanting about with your mm -hmm. fancy Kubernetes this and <laughs> machine learning that and <laughs> like, I, I don't know, everything is easy if there is no, no backwards compatibility to maintain. Yep. No legacy, no customers. Yeah. Yeah, I wondered about that a lot. I could totally see that being a tension. It's like the concerns of these two groups are just totally different. Skunkworks teams are all yeah. about building something new and fast and innovative and core, you know, team supporting product that are that is in production with customers. They're all about keeping the system operational and running and 
continuing to bring in business. So yeah, these are misaligned yeah. teams. So like I would say there is going to be inherent tension here. Yeah. The key is to make your Skunkworks project the core app <laughs> and then get the other team to be on a Skunkworks team. Oh. And then you develop a lot of empathy for each other. Oh, I see. <laughs> How to level up the team. I mean, I think you just have to turn to sports movie metaphors. Okay. Like the Mighty Ducks. That okay. was a big one about this ragtag team. Miracle, another hockey-themed one. Mm, bad News about Bears. About this ragtag group of people. Bad News Bears. Yeah, hockey is kind of like football. Bad News Bears is football, right? I think it's baseball. Oh, I haven't even seen it. Well, <laughs> two-thirds of these sports have the word ball in the title, so <laughs> okay. they're all related. Remember the Titans? Weren't they bad at first? Or were they just like mad at each other because of because of racial tensions i don't remember i don't remember it's been a I long time i don't remember the titans oh <laughs> oh yeah but i think yeah you you need a gruff leader who gives good speeches and shows tough love <laughs> yes and you need to go through the shared adversity of like hard training that brings you together yep and ideally if someone can get in a life-threatening or yes. or life-altering accident yes Nothing brings the team together that like someone just getting hit by a car and saying like, approve each other's pull requests for me. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like nothing gels a team like a tragedy. <laughs> if you can find a sacrificial lamb in your team. Yeah. Maybe it's you. Maybe you could volunteer to go get hit by a bus. The team can come visit you yep. in the hospital. And all you can say is, Please level up your engineering abilities. <laughs> what would the engineering equivalent of getting, getting hit by a bus be? It's probably different. It's whatever you hate most. <laughs> you either get put on like, I don't know, some C project or some JavaScript project or I don't know. Everyone everyone has their developer kryptonite. No, yeah. You have to go work on a legacy Fox Pro database. Okay. Yeah, that would probably be a lot of people's kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also curious about this phrase makes the engineering team look ill-equipped. And, mm. and I'm wondering what the underlying problem is there. Like, if you feel like they're not good at their job, is it because it, it, maybe maybe their poor quality of work is affecting your ability to move fast on a skunkworks project? Is it like some boss is thinking ill of the engineering team because they can't deliver? Like, makes us seem ill-equipped, feels very vague. And, and like a symptom, but not the underlying problem. Is it like investor related? Can you not impress people because you're not getting enough stuff done? Yeah, it feels like there's more to dig into there. And I'm just going to keep asking you, Dave, in case you know <laughs> the answers. <laughs> mm. um, I don't know. <laughs> mm, okay. I will say if there are two teams and one team feels like we are the smart team and you are the bad team, that other team definitely knows. <laughs> like they they know and they feel that and they probably don't feel great about that. Like that's that's yeah, that's not going to be great for your relationship. I've never worked in an org where that dynamic existed that people were not aware of it. Even if no one said it, it just comes out. Huh, interesting. Um, yeah, good point. So it's going to be tough to collaborate. Yeah, I really love what you said a minute ago about this feels like a symptom. And I think you need to figure out what is the business impact of having what you, well, I mean, first of all, let me back up. Got to check your perception like, you, like we were talking about earlier. Make sure you're accurately viewing this thing or maybe it's just a 
a, a, a symptom of different incentives for these two different teams. But setting that aside, assuming you're right and that there is a skill gap between these two teams, you got to figure out what is the business impact of this skill gap that the business would respond to. In other words, just just having a skill gap is not in itself inherently a negative thing that a business wants to solve. But you know, if it if it ends up manifesting itself, like you were saying, maybe maybe you can't meet some investor expectations, maybe you can't deliver fast enough for customer deadlines, maybe you're missing market opportunities because other your competition is swooping in and stealing opportunities. You know, these are the things that I think, if you want to affect change, need to be surfaced. Not, hey, we're better than that other engineering team. Like that's just not not interesting to a business. Yeah. And then I'd say the next step is if if you do want to close this gap. Now you've got to figure out, like, I I really feel like there are two kinds of skill gaps. There's those that are trainable, you know, like, oh, they just need to know about this new technology or this new approach or patterns or methodology. You can, you can close those gaps, but then there are untrainable things or maybe not untrainable, but much, much harder to train, which is like basic expectations differences or basic cultural differences. And I mean like work culture, like we don't value Mm. customer you know, uh, customer value, or we don't care. We don't value ownership. We don't value things that are just like kind of tend to be more built into people and in organizations that are super hard to tease yeah. out. And in that kind of a situation, I mean, the, the solution to these two different kinds of gaps is going to be totally different. You know, on the one hand, you have training opportunities that can be done, but on the other hand, like I, I mean, you might just have to nuke it from orbit and start over. <laughs> you know, I mean how. I kind of say that tongue in cheek, but like, how, how do you take an organization that's full of people who don't have shared values with you and install those values in them? Yeah. I have seen a strong manager do that for a team that was underperforming and seemed to have shared values, but it turns out they, they just weren't being guided or helped enough. So, so kind of like the grumpiest person influenced the group the most. Or, or the person with the strongest held negative values, I guess, is how I okay. put it. <laughs> okay. So it, it might not be as dire as you make it out or as unsalvageable, but it does. it is hard to change, especially as a peer. It's, it's, it's pretty tough to change that other group without any authority or without anyone to influence directly either. I mean, if you can go to the manager of that group and maybe delicately bring up these concerns, but, but especially if you if you bring up practical issues, not... Yeah, hey, I think your team is worse than my team. Right. <laughs> yeah, examples of where that has harmed the business is what you need to use. Yeah, I'm going to quote a person lots of people don't like, but who said good quotes sometimes. It, is it me? Go to war with the army you have. Is it you? No. <laughs> you say good things a lot of time, and a lot of people like you. Yes. No, Do- Donald Rumsfeld said, you go to war with the army you have. And I think the point of that means you can always scheme about what life would be like if you had the perfect team if you swapped out some people that you feel like aren't as good with people you think would be better but you can't just sit and wait for that to happen you have to make things happen with what you currently have because that's that's the job and that's and that's more directly under your control this company that it's time to level up the engineering domain i feel like we're kind of poo-pooing on this person's question where we're saying like you can't (laughs) you just have to work better with them I think that's what I'm saying. I mean, you can influence them and you can say you can, yeah, like you said, bring up specific things, but you can't change their motivation by yourself from a sibling team. 
I mean, I think I think if you can influence your company to establish a culture of good engineering practices, and then get and this is like the long game, right? You get this well infused yeah. culture of here's how we do engineering, here's how we measure good engineering. You know, maybe things like defect rates or customer support contacts, things like that. Establish this, and then you can work backwards from that ideal and show that certain teams are not meeting that standard. And then you can really get, I think, management's attention and start to have action taken. Either, you know, maybe it's maybe the management comes in and <laughs> replaces the managers that are causing the bad incentives or, or something, or maybe they come in and do training and level up and and maybe the answer is we got to cross-pollinate these teams and say some of your folks need to go work on the core product and vice versa. And, but, you know, there are solutions here. But in order to make the problem visible, you've got to couch it in terms that the business cares about. And that's where I would start. I like it. Well, have we armed this listener with everything they could possibly need to solve this problem now? Indubitably. <laughs> <laughs> All no right. question in my mind. It's as good as solved. <laughs> Put a bow on it. <laughs> <laughs> good luck all right what can people do if they want to get their own question answered they can go to softskills.audio and click ask a question we read them every week we pick out ones that touch us deeply and we answer them and we will eventually <laughs> pick out all of them yes because they will all touch us deeply that's right thank you very much to everyone who's submitting questions thanks to everyone who's listening thank you to the folks that support us on patreon and thank you to people that just share the show with others. That's a great way to get, what do they get? To get us to say thank you even more? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Great way to boost our ego. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>